Thank you, men. Appreciate that so very much. Great song, great job. Well, today I get to introduce the Ambassador of Canada to the U.S., Dr. Al Stone. And uh, Brother Stone is one of our favorites here, and we appreciate Brother Stone, not just because he always comes to entertain us a little bit, as you'll notice uh, his dress, attire, but uh, I appreciate Brother Stone. He always has an encouraging spirit uh, to give to anybody he meets. But underneath all of that is a tremendous heart for the ministry. Brother Stone has led the pastors in Canada to raise the money and distribute a John and Romans to every home in Canada. Now, they don't have as many homes as we have in the U.S., but it's still a lot of homes, and they're spread out. <laughs> Door knocking in Canada, you might walk a mile between a house. But I appreciate that effort, and he may tell us at what point they're at in that endeavor. It's been an ongoing project for a number of years, but it's because of this man's burden to get the Word of God into the hearts and minds of people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so while Brother Stone can be funny, he can make you laugh, he can get you laughing like no one else, but underneath all that is a tremendous heart to win people to Jesus Christ. And the Bible Baptist Church there in St. Thomas, Ontario, Canada is a wonderful example of what a church ought to be, and that's reaching people for Christ, taking a right stand on the things that are right, and just being a help and a blessing to people. And uh, you'll, you'll love Brother Stone. If you've never heard him before, you'll love him by the time chapel's over. And I, I, I guarantee you that. But I appreciate his desire to come all this way from a foreign country to preach to us for this one time in chapel. So let's welcome the ambassador from Canada to the United States, Dr. Al Stone. Give you a little something the Lord laid on my heart today. I thought it would be a help to us as we get ready for the preaching. A little something I've written. You might have heard the tune before. Some of you have heard it, and some of you have asked for it, so here it goes. Well, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is dead. All right. Thank you. I'm here. I'm here till Thursday. I'm here till Thursday over in the Lizard Lounge. Come by and see me. On a more serious note, I want to tell you that Canada is in great need of the gospel, as is America. There are 36 million people in Canada, 13 million homes. Our Bearing Precious Seed Ministry, 14 years ago, set out to put a John of Romans in every home in Canada. We just last month crossed over the halfway point. We've done 6.5 million John of Romans into the homes of Canadians, and we want to finish that. After 30 years of pastoring, I just resigned my pastorate to be able to travel full-time and be able to raise the money and awareness of trying to reach our nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to do it before retirement age in Canada is 67. I'm 55. So I'm hoping that before that time we'll have reached our nation. It's the first time I believe in history that I've ever known of that a nation was completely covered with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so we're excited about that. And we'll ask that you pray about that and encourage others to, let, to, to look us up and find out what we're doing. And so if you can do that, that would be Awesome, and we appreciate that very much. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, thank you for having some fun this morning. I'm going to have to move quickly to get through this. 
So stay with me. I want to give you a message I've entitled The Improbable Imposter. The Improbable Imposter. In John chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 21 in just a moment. Clark Rockefeller, David Hampton, Darius McCollum, Ferdinand DeMara, and Frederick Bourdain were the top five greatest imposters of all time, according to Time magazine. An imposter is one who practices deception under an assumed character, an assumed identity, or an assumed name. An imposter adapts to and acts so convincingly like someone else that even they start believing it themselves sometimes. I want to show you this morning two seemingly improbable imposters. One you will probably know very well, and the other may be quite a shock to you. The first we find in our opening text of John chapter 13 and verse 21, it says, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, by those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. I've never known anyone named Judas. Have you? Judas. Even amongst the lost, those of the secular world, I've never heard of anyone called Judas. Who would name their child Judas? That is a name that is not a, a lovely name. That is not a wanted name. His name is synonymous with being a treacherous imposter. Treacherous imposter. Yet to those around him, closest to him, they thought he was an improbable poster, imposter. Improbable imposter. Let me show you why that was. First of all, he was seemingly very close to Christ. Very close. Let me set the scene for you. This is an Eastern cultural meal at the Passover. Twelve men sitting, kneeling around a table, a table probably sitting low to the ground. Warm unleavened bread is brought to the head of the table, and in this setting it was either a father or a host or the rabbi, Jesus, the teacher of these men. Olive oil, hummus, and chopped vegetables are brought as an appetizer, usually placed so that people don't have to reach across one another. It's rude in that culture to do so. So every other person or every few people would have so that they could reach in and get it without crossing in front of someone else, especially the host. In Mark chapter 14, verse 20 says, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. We know that 
We have John there, the beloved. He doesn't name himself because of the writing, but we know it's him, the beloved John. Peter is speaking, but there is someone within reach of Jesus Christ, and his name is Judas because he's close by. Those in highest rank of age or position sit in arm's reach of the head of the table. That is the custom. That is the culture. We know one is John and assume the other to be Peter, but Peter beckons to John to ask the Savior who it is. If he was sitting on the other side of Jesus, he would have to reach across and ask in front of Jesus. That really wouldn't make sense. Why, why would he ask across the table? Peter was probably sitting right next to John. So then who's sitting on the other side? Well, I think we can make an assumption that it's quite possibly Judas. Why? Because he was high-ranking. Why? Because he was maybe an older statesman. But he's sitting close enough to Jesus that Jesus is able to dip in the sop and to pass it. Sitting within an arm's reach was he whom Jesus handed the sop, his name Judas. So close was the seeming relationship that no one even picked up on the open and obvious identification sign that Jesus gave. I'm going to be betrayed, and it's going to be by someone in this room. Whoever I dip the sop with, that's who it'll be. He dips it and gives it to Judas, and they don't pick up on it. None of them picked up on it. They supposed that Jesus said, hey, go buy us more food or get us something for the Passover or, or go out and give some money to the poor, as often the custom was. It never crossed their minds. See, we know Judas. We've got 20-20 vision. We're looking back on what he did. We know the entire story. We read it and we, we almost weep to think that he turned his back on the Savior and, 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 and gave him away, as it were. But at this point, these men don't see that. They don't know that. Why? Because he played such a great imposter's role. He looked to be one of them. He looked to love Jesus. He looked to be one of those who wanted to further the cause of Jesus Christ. But we later find out that that was not him at all. Sometimes improbable people make other people think we are with Christ. And it makes some who are saved, seemingly saved, just imposters. I want to show you this secondly, that we see of this improbable imposter that he was seemingly very concerned for the cause. Go back just a little bit to John chapter 12, and in verses 3 to 7 it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Look at verse 6. Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a what? A thief. And he had the bag, and he bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing has she kept this. Even before the Passover, this should have been a pretty telling tale of who Judas was. Here revealed to us in, in, in verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, he, he carried the bag and what was put in it. He was stealing from Jesus. He was stealing from those other men. 
He was taking the little money they had to go on their journey and to meet their needs and keeping it for himself, stealing from the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouldn't we be helping the poor, also known as, shouldn't you be helping me? Shouldn't we be taking that money and putting it in the bag so that I can take some of it later for my own personal needs? Every, everyone knows who seem to want to help others, but in reality, they're an imposter, caring only about their, their well-being and prosperity of themselves. We've all known people like that. Uh, hey, let's do this, but in the back of their minds, they're thinking, this is really about me. Hey, let's, let's get some of that. And in reality, they're really thinking, how can I get more for myself? We've all known folks like this. And here is this great imposter who's thinking those very things. Churches and colleges are sadly full of people like that who put on an air or put on that imposter's position of, this is really about someone else, but it's really about me. We need to help the poor, Jesus. Sounds good and noble and Christian-like until you realize he's nothing but a thief trying to put the equivalent of about $40 today into his pocket. His care was not for the poor, for the disciples, nor for Christ, but for himself alone. I'll play the game. I'll put it on when I have to. But as soon as I get the chance, I will satisfy and gratify my longings and myself, is what he was saying. I'll, I'll put on the appearance, I'll say the words, I'll smile when I'm supposed to, I'll do all the things that everyone else is doing, and I want to tell you, he did it very well. Because nobody knew. Nobody picked up on it. They thought he was one of them. They thought he was sincere. They thought he was a righteous man. They thought he was a good guy. And then finally we see the improbable imposter that he was seemingly very careful not to get caught. Go back to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, very quickly. Verses 47 to 50 say this. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayeth him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Just in case, we better bring some backup, Judah says. I mean, there are 12 unarmed men there. Well, except for one, Peter. Funny that Peter takes off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Why not through the heart of Judas? Why not through him? He's the one who kissed him. He's the one who led the crowd. He's the one who betrays him. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because they still didn't get it. What Judas and most imposters do not account for, though, is that in their events and in their lives and in their attempts to avoid getting caught is the eventual guilt, grief, and remorse that ensues. Judas, having betrayed Christ, runs back to try and give the money back. And in the end, hangs himself realizing what he'd done. He was a great imposter, but he could not fool himself and he could not fool God. He knew what he had done. He knew the events that now were taking place, and he knew that Jesus Christ would be dealt a terrible, terrible death. And he takes the money back and says, I don't want to play the game anymore. I want to get real. Please. 
too late. Too late. That's the first improbable imposter. The other is much like Judas and far more current. Seemingly, seemingly close to Christ, appearing to be a follower, to be saved and to be serving, but in reality, lost. Playing the game, fooling his family and his friends. She's fooling that, the guy she's dating. She, she's fooling her other classmates. Seeming concerned for the cause, but really self-consumed. It's really about them. It's not about Christ. It's not about the church. It's not about my family. It's not about my friends. It's all about me. Seemingly careful not to get caught. Our second improbable imposter is very well known to you. They're sitting next to you. They're in a dorm or classroom with you. In fact, for many, it is you. It is you. And you know it. Oh, you play a great game. You play a great game. Your professors don't even know. Your parents have no idea. Your siblings have an idea because they probably know you a little bit better. And maybe your friends that you run in association with in a very close-lipped pack. But most people have no idea. You're a great imposter, yet improbable. I mean, come on. Your, your kids that grew up in church. Your, your kids whose pastors are, or your parents are pastors and pastors' wives and your missionaries' kids. And your kids that went through church and came up through Sunday school and hardly ever missed a Sunday and, and, and did the little papers and you have them on the fridge at home. And you've come to a Bible college of all places. A place where people learn the word of God so they can go out and serve God. And, and to be effective in the movement of Jesus Christ. And some of you are imposters. Oh, you've got the suit and the vest and the tie. You've got the, you've got the dress right down to the right length. And it's modest here. But let's be honest, some of you can't wait to get home for Thanksgiving. You can't wait to get home to your bedroom. You can't wait to get home to your old friends. In fact, some of you can't even wait that long because some of you have been sneaking off this campus and making out. And some of you have been sneaking off this campus and doing drugs. And some of you have been sneaking off this campus and drinking. Or will do it when you get home and can't wait to hook up with those old friends and do it. You're here because somebody expects you to be here and you're here playing the game. But the reality is you're an imposter. So how do you know that, preacher? My kids went to school here. My kids went to school here. My youth pastor went to school here. Levi Tyrrell's our youth pastor. Other kids that I know go to school here. And they tell me, preacher, you would be shocked You'd be shocked at the number of students that go to that Bible college who are imposters. They're playing the game. And I'll tell you something. You can play the game. You can continue to play the game, but I'll tell you what. There's going to come a point in your life, just like Judas, when you're not going to be able to stand it anymore. You're going to want to get caught. Some of you are involved in pornography. Seven out of ten men in churches today are involved in some form of pornography. You don't think that's happening here? How many girls today have become so aggressive because they don't think they're going to get a guy? Guys are waiting until they're 27, 28 to get married, and girls are thinking at 22, 23, i got to get a guy because if I don't get one now, I'll probably never get one. 
And there are girls in a college like this that will give themselves far too much away to attract a guy so they've got somebody who will love them. And especially girls who've never had a dad growing up. They want someone to love them so bad, they'll do anything. And you're an imposter. Oh, you look good and you look wholesome and you sound good, but you're an imposter. And some of you are here and you're not even saved. You've come to a Bible college saying, well, I'll be safe there. It's not a secular university. And then and, and, and there's not the open drinking and the open drugs and the open sexuality. Some come to college just like this and think, you know what? I'm going to hide there because I'm having homosexual tendencies. Or I'm kind of drawn to that whole transgender thing. And, and, and I've been hurt before and I've been hurt in other places. And maybe there I'll be protected. You're an imposter. And this imposter was really good. He fooled everybody, but he didn't fool Jesus, and neither do you, and neither do you, and neither do you. You know today, and God knows today, who you really are, who you really are. Who are you today? Are you saved? Are you here to serve Christ? Are you keeping yourself in the word of God and praying and seeking God so that you can do greater things for him? Or are you here to get an education? Are you here to get away from home? Are you here to satisfy your parents? Are you here to make your pastor happy? Are you an imposter? You're probably an improbable imposter. Somebody that nobody would ever think. But let's be honest. You know. You know, and it's eating you up. And I'm preaching this message, and the Holy Spirit is, is attacking you. And you're thinking, man, he's got me. The Holy Spirit's speaking to me. God's revealing it. And some of you are thinking, whoo, good. I can finally be released. I can finally be free. I can finally come out and, and, and be honest and, and get this thing right. Oh, today is your day to say, I don't want the money. I don't want the money. I don't want to live that anymore. And you don't have to go out and kill yourself. But you can come today and be made right. And you can today find, find forgiveness with Christ. And you can come today and let your friends know, I used to be that. I used to be those things, but I'm not that anymore. The things I used to do, I'm not doing them anymore. There's been a great change today at West Coast Baptist College. Let's stand on our feet. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great day and for this opportunity. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would begin to get hold of hearts and that even during this prayer, some would begin to make their way to this altar and some would kneel at the chair where they're at. And Father, they'd start saying, God, I've been an imposter. God, I've not been real. God, this preacher has nailed it today. And I don't know how you got the message to him, but boy, he nailed it today. Father, I pray today that young people would come and they would give their lives and they would say, I'm gonna surrender. I need to get saved today. I need to be true today. I've been living a lie. I've been trying to satisfy my parents and my pastor, but I can't do it anymore. Oh, God, today I want to get saved, and I pray that they'd find one of their college professors or one of their dorm mates and say, listen, would you help me? I need to get saved today. No shame today. No embarrassment today. We all pretend sometimes. We all put on a, a, a face sometimes. 
Facebook is evident of that. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. But many are hurting inside. There are some here today that maybe are struggling with alcoholism or drug abuse or pornography or or being in a wrong relationship with someone else. God, I pray today that maybe some are struggling with those thoughts of homosexuality or lesbianism. And Father, I pray that we'd be honest enough today. So listen, I've come to get right. I've come to get clean today. Help us to do that in Jesus' name.